0: Alright, good morning. I've met many of you, but as Reed said, my name is Ben, and if I haven't met you at, if I have not met you yet, I look forward to meeting you. Uh, scripture reading is Luke 5, verses 1 through 11. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, we'd love to give you one on the tables in the back on your way out. Luke 5, 1 through 11. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake, And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated.
1: What does it mean to be a Christian? That should be a pretty obvious question, isn't it? What does it mean to be a Christian? I mean, if, if a group of people sitting in church can't answer that question, we're in big trouble, aren't we? And yet, like, think about that. I would guess many of us would have a variety of answers to that question. What does it mean to be a Christian? For, for some, you might say, well, it's, it's a particular lifestyle, right? It's, it's keeping a, a list of rules. It's, it's you know looking a certain way, doing a certain set of things, maybe, maybe it's that. For the others of us, maybe we, we define it more of like it's part of a, a cultural thing, right? It's part of being an American or growing up in your family. For others, maybe it's kind of a, a political thing. It's tied maybe in your mind to a, a political party. Others, others of us might, might think of uh, you know, a whole host of different ways of answering that same question. Maybe it's just a, it's a list of doctrine, right? As long as you can sign off that you believe this list, then you're in. For others, it's about going to church and maybe you think, well, I was, I was baptized, I give to the church. Or, or maybe for still others, like the super spiritual ones, you're just thinking, well, a real Christian is gonna, is gonna root for the chiefs later on, right? And that's, that's your definition, right? But what does it mean? What does it really mean? How, how would Jesus answer that question? Like if, we were to, if we were able to sit down and ask him, Jesus, what does it mean to be a Christian? What would, he, what would he say? Well, in many ways, that's been our goal these last couple of months, to sort of wrestle with that question. We, we're looking back at these earliest documents, uh, the Gospel of Luke, to try to rediscover who, who Jesus is because we, we all come with a variety of caricatures, assumptions, and oftentimes just flat out false beliefs about Jesus, And so we're going back to these early documents to ask the question, who is Jesus? And what does it mean to be a Christian? And one of the first answers we get to that question comes out of the story we just heard read a moment ago. And it's simple but profound. And yet I don't want us to miss it. Christians follow Jesus. Christians follow Jesus. And I realize, even as you hear that, some of you are like rolling your eyes, like, yeah, okay, we know, we get that. But, like, but what does it even mean to, to follow him, right? And others of us, maybe, maybe it's not the misconceptions around it. Maybe we just sort of water it down. We kind of place it in the category of like, do we like follow him on Twitter? Is that kind of what we're talking about? I love, I love that he actually, come on, I think we got a picture there. He's got, he's got something on Twitter, doesn't he? I love that. The picture is great. <laughs> like, is that, is that what we mean? Well, no, it's not. And so to figure this out, we need to turn together to Luke chapter 5. It's probably a familiar story for some of us. But here in Luke chapter 5, as we heard read just a moment ago, Jesus calls his first disciples. And that is meant in Luke not just to be about them, but to be about all who would follow Jesus. And in fact, it's, it's meant to be a bit of a paradigm of what it looks like as Jesus continues to call people to himself today. But let's set the context a little bit. Now, if you hear last week, like Jesus preached his first recorded sermon in Luke and it almost gets him killed. It's crazy, right? But now, this week already, I mean, he's the most popular guy in town. Everybody loves him. He's been doing miracles, like all these kinds of healings and whatnot. He's been preaching sermons and he has this massive crowd of people following him. Everybody loves him in this, in this story. And in, in chapter 5, like, the crowds are literally pressing in on on him as he's preaching. I mean, think about that. Like, I've never had that experience. Like, it seems like most of you would rather sit as far away as humanly possible in this moment. But like, they're, they're so pressing in on him that he, he borrows, you know, Simon's boat Simon would also be called Peter, right, Simon Peter, borrows his boat so he can just go off into the water a little bit and give himself a little personal space as he teaches. I mean, think about the intensity of a crowd like that as Jesus preaches. The crowds love him. And the crowds matter. But Jesus didn't come simply for crowds. Jesus wants Disciples. Apprentices, followers, people who over time actually begin to look like him. In other words, in the very best sense of the word, Christians. And yet, we all kind of prefer to be in the crowd, don't we? If we're honest. Like, we like, we like to be near Jesus, but not too near. Like, close enough to feel good about ourselves, but not so close that we actually have to change. We like to be in the crowd. And I think sometimes churches can play into this. And particularly the larger we get, the more difficult it can, it can become. It's really easy for churches to focus on the crowd, right? To get obsessed with, with numbers, you know, the big show on Sunday, rather than on actually discipling individuals. And we talk about this often here, right? Sunday matters, of course it does. Here, together, like this crowd, like this matters, of course it does. But the real test of whether or not we're following Jesus doesn't happen in here, right? This is the easy place. It happens everywhere else. It's it's wherever we go. It's our Monday lives, the things that we do, and the question that we have to continually ask ourselves, are we preparing you for Monday as a church? And sometimes we even refer to ourselves as a church for Monday, not just for Sunday, but for all of life. So how how then do we move from crowd to, to Christian. Well, in the midst of this crowd, right, right at the beginning of this story, Jesus zeroes in on one person in particular. Simon Peter. Now they already knew each other at this point, so they're not, they're not complete strangers in this moment. In fact, just a, a few verses earlier in, in Luke, Jesus had healed Simon's mother-in-law, for which I assume he was grateful, right? And he'd probably, he'd probably heard, it's an assumption, but probably, either way, he was impressed. Like he'd probably heard a couple of sermons as well, right? So he's familiar with Jesus at this point. And then verse four, verse four, and when Jesus had finished speaking, so he finishes his sermon, he's preaching out of, out of Peter's boat. When Jesus had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, master, we toiled all night and took nothing. And Peter had been fishing his entire life. He is an expert fisherman. And Jesus is a carpenter. He's like, hey, you know what, Jesus? Like, I'm not going to tell you how to nail wood together, okay? Um, You you do that. You make your tables. It's fine. They're great. Like, don't. Don't tell me how to fish, right? And yet, this is this is Peter's test. Cause he'd seen some miracles, he'd heard some sermons, but will I obey? Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. You can hear the frustration in his voice. But at your word, I will let down the nets. Listen, if you want to know what it looks like to go from being a part of the crowd to being truly a Christian, a follower of Jesus, one of his disciples, here it is. Here's the first thing we see. Followers of Jesus admit, Jesus knows better than me. Jesus knows better than you. Do you believe that? Like, really believe that? Like, not just up here, but enough to actually let it inform your life, every decision you make. Because someone in the the crowd might say, I mean, I'll I'll obey Jesus, sure. Like, as long as it's not too hard. As long as it kind of fits my personality and my culture. uh, Essentially, I'll obey Jesus as long as it's what I always wanted to do anyway, right? It's kind of how we do it if we're honest, because we, we begin to, to justify, I mean, what, is, what does Jesus know about money or sex or relationships, right, or parenting? Like, Jesus, you're not the expert here, okay? Stick to carpentry, carpentry or, or saving souls, like, stay in your lane, Jesus, okay? You're not a therapist, you're not a doctor, you're not a, a lawyer or a politician or economist. Jesus, let's just let the grown-ups talk for a while, Here's the thing. If you intend to follow him, you cannot say that anymore. Instead, you let down your nets. No matter how frustrating or hard it is for you, no matter what he asks of you. Because deep down, you believe Jesus knows better. No matter what, I feel on the inside, no matter what my desires are telling me, no matter what my culture is telling me, no matter what the people around me are telling me, Jesus knows better. Think of of it a little bit like this. Like if, if Jesus really is the son of God, okay? Like God himself, and I realize we may not all believe that, but let's just say, right, if he is the creator of everything, who designed you, then he really is the expert on everything, Jesus is the most brilliant person in the universe. Do you believe that? But he's actually the smartest person in your field. Like, whatever it is you do. He knows more about fishing than the expert fisherman, more about parenting, engineering, medicine, psychology, relationships, time management, leadership, money, sex. Football, happiness, because he knows what you were made for. I mean, think think about that. He knows why you and I exist, and therefore, he knows what is going to bring us the greatest joy, the greatest satisfaction. And if he says, let down your nets, let them down. Let me even just ask, where is that hardest for you right now? Like, I mean, if you're just completely honest with yourself, where, where is the spot where you are still most convinced that you, I just think I know better? Followers of Jesus go with Jesus. That's what it means. And yes, yes, you'll fail along the way. And no, I'm not saying that this is what, like our obedience is what saves us, what makes us a Christian. Of course not. And yet every day, we as his people commit to believing he is always the smartest person in every room. He always knows better and that we can trust him. And so so Peter here, he obeys. And it's almost kind of ridiculous, like over the top, like because now the nets are like bursting full, right? He's got to call his buddies, like, help, okay? The boats are starting to sink. They're overflowing with fish. I mean, it's just so over the top, right? skip, Skip down then to verse 11. We'll, we'll go back in a minute, but go to, go to verse 11 first. And when they had brought their boats to land, again, heaped up with fish, they left everything and followed him. Now, we've got to pause here for a second because this, this verse and others like it have been abused over the years. Uh, so we've got to say kind of first, like, what does it not mean? Okay, Jesus is not saying in this moment that if you want to follow Jesus, you have to leave your vocation. Like, that's, that's not what he's getting you know, That's That's unique for, for Peter, and we'll see that with Levi uh, a, as well. But that's, that's not necessarily the normal thing. You don't have to quit your job and become a pastor or missionary. I mean, unless that's specifically what God asks of you, which he may. But that's not the case for most of us. Like, most of us serve him in the places where we already are, Right? In fact, earlier on in Luke, there's a, a sermon John the Baptist preaches that is to help people follow God in their vocations, not leaving. And later on in Luke, Jesus will say to some of his, his followers, no, actually don't, don't come with, like follow me here in this place. And, and again, this is really important because sometimes we distort these things. For most of us, the place we live this out is the place we already are, wherever that happens to be on Monday, Right? And yet, there is something being communicated to us here that sort of defines what this looks like to be a Christian, to be a follower of Jesus. And let me just say, it's, it's way harder than, you know, quitting your job, right? It's way harder. They left everything like, whether, whether you stay or go, regardless of where you spend the majority of your time, following Jesus means Jesus gets to define you. You have to leave behind your, your own definitions, your old definitions of yourself. Jesus gets to now. He gets to define you. You don't just have to give him your time and money. It's like, no, people, it gets way worse than that, right? You have to give him your identity. You have to leave behind your expectations Leave behind your plans. I have to leave behind who I think I should be or want to be, right, for his definition. I no longer get to define the good life for myself. Maybe just think about that for a second. Like, my definition of the good life, if I'm completely honest, is a a happy family, uh, enough money left over for some extras, like a little me time, please, Jesus, a little me time, uh, and, and not, too many, not too many hardships, right? Like that's, that's how I define it. And, I mean, essentially, if you think about it, like that is probably similar for many of us. It is in, it's entirely selfish. Uh, it's incredibly narrow. It's ultimately culturally bound, right, defined by my culture, not by myself. And at the end of the day, at least for me, it's... Frankly, dissatisfying, and has, has only has only left me on a quest for more. My definition of the good life is conventional. Jesus' definition of the good life? It is as conventional, as unconventional as his fishing tactics, but it leads to full nets. And so where are, you, where are you holding back right now? Like, where have you continued to say to Jesus, as I sometimes do as well, like, yeah, Jesus, you can have this. All right, you can have that, but just don't, not this part, right? What are the things that you've left sort of off limits to him? And the reality, the reality is he won't be satisfied until he has everything. But neither will you. To follow him, you've got to let him define you. And then, Peter, Jesus gives Peter a job to do. Look at, look at verse 10. Jesus gives Peter a job to do. Verse 10. From now on, Jesus says to Peter, you will be catching men. So think about that. Peter has gone from being a part of the crowd to being a, a Christian, right? A follower of Jesus. But now Jesus invites Peter to go back out into the crowd so that he can be a part of pulling people in. In fact, there's, there's a great picture of this just a few verses down. Uh, it's the, the, kind of the same story, but it's with the, the tax collector named Levi, who also becomes a follower of Jesus. They're meant to be kind of parallel stories and kind of play off of each other. But look, look what happens when, when Jesus calls Levi. Look at verse 27. Jesus said to him, to Levi, "Follow me." And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. And Levi made him a great feast in his house, and there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with them. I, just, I love this picture because, like, Levi meets Jesus, right? Follows him, says, "Yes, I'm in." And like, what's the first thing he does next? Like, there a party. He invites all of his co-workers, like all the other tax collectors, and and the Pharisees would refer to also other, like, sinners, they they would say. But why? Because he wants them to meet Jesus as well. He wants them to have this this similar experience, and he's shamed for it. Like, he's criticized openly by the Pharisees there at that party, but it doesn't matter. He wants them to know. And this this is so important as Christians. This isn't This isn't a side thing. It's not something we we get to later when we have time. It's not something that's reserved simply for pastors or missionaries or a select few who are really good at it. It's part of the definition of following. It's that Jesus has a job for you. Jesus has a job for you. And he has already deployed you into his mission field. Your office, your school, the job site, your home, your neighborhood or apartment complex or retirement community, like whatever that is, like God has put you there and He in- intends on redeeming His world through you. And there's a good chance you're going to be criticized for it. Like it, it, there's a good chance, like the Pharisees in that moment, it's going to look different for us, right? Differently. But there's a good chance that there's going to be shame poured on to us for that. And yet, once. Like Levi, once you've met Jesus, you start throwing parties. That doesn't mean we're forcing the people down people's throats, right? We're not shoehorning Jesus into every conversation. Please don't make it weirder than it <laughs> has to be, right? And yet, if we invite people into our lives, truly, and if we, if we are letting Jesus define who we are, truly, then he's going to be a part of the relationship, Who are you praying for and pursuing? Where has Jesus sent you, deployed you? This is what it means to follow him. Of course, I know, I know what some of you are thinking. I'm thinking the same thing. Because at this point, it's like, well, gosh, that's kind of a lot, um, so maybe I'd prefer not to, right? I mean, you hear these, these things, this, this list of, like, of challenges. Like, this is hard. Like, Jesus, he, gets, he knows better than me. I've got to say that. He gets to define me. He gives me a job to do. Like, for some of us, like, maybe you hear that, like, the cost of following Jesus, it just feels too high. And here's the thing. At this point, all we've really talked about are the, are the challenges of following him. But what about the joy? I mean, think about it. Why would Peter why would he say yes to all this? Why should we say yes? Well, go back, go back to the, the first way that Peter responds. The first thing's out of his mouth when he experiences this from Jesus. It's so, it's so beautiful. Verse, verse eight. So this is, the, you know, the nut, That's are bursting. The, the, the boats are overflowing. Verse eight, but when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. I mean, think about that response. Like, you, know, you read that, and it's like, well, that doesn't make any sense. Like, I could say, like, Wow, Jesus, that's amazing. Do that again. Can we go fishing more often? Like, I can think of any number of, of responses here, but I'm puzzled by, by Peter's. And I think, I think in many ways, like, Peter, in this moment, he gets even the slightest glimpse of who Jesus is, right? His power, his glory. He knows that, that Jesus is in, is in a different category. And what does he do? He says, go away from me. Like, Jesus, I am, I am too sinful. I am too broken. Like, the mess is too real. Like, leave. Leave me. What would you ever want to do with me, Jesus? I'm too needy. Go away. And he's right. But what does Jesus do? The exact opposite. Peter says, go away, and Jesus says, come with. Peter says, take, take a step back, right? And Jesus takes a step forward, actually invites him into this, this relationship. It's, Peter, I'm not going to leave, actually. You're right, you are a sinful mess, and it's gonna, we're going to have some moments together, but I am not going to leave. In fact, what I really want is for you to come with me to be with me, to follow me. You see, our, our Western idea of following means that person goes first and we go behind, you know, as if we just get this great view of Jesus' backside the entire way. But that's not the idea in this culture. Like In Jewish culture, this invitation to follow me is an invitation to come with, to partner with, right? to, to, to be together. It's Jesus saying, come with me, walk beside me, spend time with me. I'm convinced that's why Peter, despite the cost, said, "Okay, right, right, I'm in." He knows me; like he's seen the mess inside me, and still he wants to be with me. You know, I think it's so easy for us to get hung up on the cost of following Jesus, and I'm not—I'm not minimizing all that. In fact, like Peter, like it's going—it's literally going to cost Peter everything. Like he's going to end up losing his life because of this decision to follow Jesus. So I'm not, I'm not minimizing the cost, and yet we get hung up thinking about the cost, but we forget to ask the question, what's the cost of not following him? Because the cost of not following is infinitely higher. Even just walk back through these things, yes, like it is hard for me to be able to say, Jesus knows better than me. Like I don't like that. I don't, I don't like having to submit that to him, but at the same time, like when you hear that, aren't you just a tiny bit relieved that there is someone infinitely better than you, infinitely wiser than you, infinitely more loving than you, who knows how you were designed, who knows what is going to make you most satisfied, who's willing to help you learn how to lead the best kind of life. Again, it's hard, but like, like don't, we, don't we long for that, right? You don't, you don't have to obey your desires or our culture or your regrets or your past. Jesus knows better. And yes, Jesus gets to define you like, he is in charge of my happiness, that terrifies me. Because I know oftentimes he and I have very different definitions of what that means. And yet he made me. He knows me. He loves me enough to come to this earth to rescue me. Okay, fine, Jesus. You can, you can define me. And it's, it's hard thinking that Jesus has a job for you. Like, I'm busy enough. I don't want to. But you'll get to see him at work in ways you never thought possible in you and through you and the people around you if you let him. Yes, the cost of following Jesus is high. But the cost of not following him is so much higher. Because here's what I'm getting at. And this is the most important thing I'm going to say today. It's one of the most important things I could ever say. It's what, what strikes me most in this passage. It's the last thing that we see here is that following Jesus means he wants to be with you. Like, think about that for a moment. Not just that he wants you to obey him or do what you're told, right? He doesn't just just love you in theory, like he loves humanity. Jesus is saying in this moment, Peter, I just, I want to be with you. Like, I know you're a mess. I want to be with you. The one who claimed to be God, who did things that only God could do who offers to take all of our failure and shame, who rose again to give us life and to make us whole, the same Jesus who calls Peter calls you because he wants to be with you. And sort of like what Jesus said at Levi's party, like when the Pharisees are complaining, like, Jesus, how are you hanging out with these tax collectors and sinners? Like, what's wrong with you? The way Jesus responds here, right, this should give all of us great hope. He says in verse 31, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. For those who in faith recognize their need, who cry out to Jesus for their shame, who fail at times to do everything else we've just said in this entire sermon, right? Because you're going to blow it, I'm going to blow it. And yet, even so, Jesus still says, Nathan, I'm not gonna leave. I, I want you with me. I want you, I want you to come along with me. And he promises to be with you forever. He, he'd rather die on a cross than live without you. And he's come here to make you whole. I mean, the cost, the cost is high, people, but the joy is so much higher. I mean, do you ever wonder if Peter thought about going back? I mean, he had to, right, at some point. Because, like, at this point in the story, like, Peter has no idea what he's signing up for. He's like, yeah, sure, Jesus, I'll follow you. It's a lot of fish. It sounds great. Like, I mean, he, I think he gets a little bit of it. He gets a glimpse. He he doesn't know that there's a cross coming for Jesus. He has no idea that that's coming. He doesn't know that there's a cross coming for himself. Like, that one day he is going to be executed for this decision. He has no idea. And the reality is, you and I, we do not know what it's going to cost because it's going to look different for all of us. And if Peter had known all of that, would he have said yes? I don't know. But I do know this. In the years they had together, that relationship of being with Jesus, being apprenticed, discipled by him, the more time he spent with Jesus, the higher the cost would become, but also the higher the joy. And so he keeps following and there's even this, this one moment uh, later on in the story. It's actually quite a, quite a bit later. It's like when things are starting to fall apart for Jesus. One of my favorite favorite stories. Actually, it's, it's awful in many ways. Like people are leaving, and like the crowds have gone vicious. They're, they're beginning to despise him, and they are running away. Like Jesus, forget it. We're out. And Jesus turns to his disciples. Peter there in the front, and he says, "What are you guys going to leave?" And he gives them an out. Like, are you also going to leave? And I love how Peter responds. As people, I feel this regularly as I look at my own doubts and my own darkness inside. But Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Where else would I go? Church, I know that Jesus loves me. I Meet mean, up here, right? Cognitively. I can I can agree to that. I don't feel it very often, truly. And I, I know that he, he wants me to obey him. But the fact that Jesus wants to be with me, I don't even want to be with myself half the time. But he wants to be with you. And Peter, you see, Peter had a choice in that moment. The same choice that you and I have right now, right here in this place. He had a choice. He could go back. You could go back to a life of empty nets. Or you could choose the hard but very full life with Jesus. Which will it be? This morning we get a chance to to reaffirm that decision as we come to the Lord's table. Because in many ways, this act, this invitation, like Jesus saying to us, come eat with me, is is another opportunity for us as his people to say, yes, I am in, yes, I will follow, yes, I will submit, yes, Jesus, I want to be with you. And if that doesn't describe you, like if if you're not a follower of his, he is still calling you longing to be with you and maybe maybe take a moment here just to, to reflect maybe even pray or maybe you're ready like Peter to lay down your nets but if that describes you in this moment I'd encourage you like take a moment here to tell him to say Jesus I am in and then come with your new family come with your god come to this place and eat and celebrate with us. But before we come to the table though, I just want to take just a few seconds. It's a busy day. There's a lot of distractions. Let's just take 30 seconds to quiet ourselves to be with him. Let's do that together. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, creator of all things the one who gave sight to the blind, who preached good news to the lowly, who rose from the grave. We are amazed that you want to be with us. So I pray that you would draw us to yourself in this moment. Help us to know and experience you even in this space. God, for those who maybe have been following for a really long time, I pray that we would um, once again be amazed at your love. And God, for those who perhaps are on the fence or um, aren't believing, God, I pray that even in this moment you would draw them to yourself through the love of the people around them and through your spirit at work. And so we ask that even as we come to this table that you would commune with us, that we would know your presence here with us, that you wanna be with us. We pray this in Christ's name, amen.